0: Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Help us to have a greater understanding of thy majesty the beauty of your holiness and the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know these things in our head and at various times you visit us in a special way and allow our cups to overflow. And we think we would like to live in such a state, but very likely that would not be practical either. We do not know what it shall be like when we will be with you in glory. But I'm quite certain that we will not be out of control. And our worship will be complete. And it will be regulated. How, we do do not know. We cannot comprehend that. We're made to think quite often of what John wrote when he said, We know not what we shall be. But we do know we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. So we pray that You would help us as we trot along here in this sinful world, in this sinful body. And help us to be mindful of Your Word and endeavor to live in accordance with the teaching of Thy Holy Scriptures. We do pray, our God, that You would bless the Gospel to go forth in such a way that there might be revival throughout the land. Nothing is impossible with you. We do believe, according to what we see going on around us, that your judgment is upon us, and you have lifted your hand and left us quite a bit to ourselves. Not only that, we find in Some sections of the country that there's major, major droughts. So much so that people that have livestock are having to sell them because they cannot and do not have food to feed them. Some places, crops are so barren that there will hardly be any yield. And in other places, there's exceeding uh, rain, tornadoes, and other storms that have hindered the planting of crops and the taking care of crops in that way. There are fires in various places throughout the land. And we find that the general consensus of the population is nature. But we know better because you have your way in the whirlwind. You send the lightning, you send the thunder, you send the rain, the hail, the sleet, the snow. And with regard to the lightning, our God, we confess our great ignorance as to why various things are allowed to take place, such as the burning of Brother Poe's home. And we know that from our perspective there's no more of a prince of a Christian than Brother Poe. And in our human nature we're made to say why? When we need to be like Job and put our hands over our mouths and just bow before thy sovereignty. And we thank you that you have given Brother Poe such a spirit and that you spared him from being burned in the house and that he has children to take care of him and he has a place to stay and things of that nature. Thou art God. Thou art God. It's easy for us to read about Job and know that Job hadn't done anything for all the things to come upon him. And if we didn't know what was going on behind the scene from thy thy word, we'd be just as mystified as we would in a lot of other things in life. And yet when it comes down to us personally, We're made to wonder, and there may be a legitimacy of some of that wondering. But help us not to wander with sin. Help us to be mindful to humble ourselves before you. We pray that you might even cause this nation to humble themselves before you. Or should I say, humble ourselves before you. Now help us as we endeavor to study your word. Speak to our hearts according as you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians. And it seems on the surface of this that Paul is simply tying up some loose ends in this chapter and giving some various but obvious needful instructions in the living of our lives here upon this earth. But this epistle is another example of Paul's style of of teaching and preaching too. In other words, Paul always gives doctrine first and then he gives the practical lessons from believing and knowing and practicing sound doctrine. I recently purchased a book. Yes, I'm still buying books. (laughs) But uh, there was a book that was recently reprinted separate from the total volumes of the total works of uh, John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon was a Presbyterian minister but he was the only minister that signed the Declaration of Independence. But he wrote two books that's recently been reprinted together in one book. One's on the doctrine of justification and the other's on the doctrine of the uh, new birth. And his treatise on the new birth, John Newton, the man that wrote Amazing Grace, said that it was the best work by a Calvinist on regeneration. So you can kindly understand why it kind of, the book caught my attention. But the thing, the reason that he wrote uh, the work on uh, justification is that a man in England by the name of James Hervey, who was an Episcopal, well, the Church of England a minister that had written a book against uh, John Wesley's Arminianism. Or Wesley later came out against Hervey. But uh, I'm saying all of that to say this, that Wesley Wesley and Arminians gave the charge that those who believe in justification by the imputed righteousness of Christ, that it would cause them to live Uh, a licentious life. And Witherspoon's book was uh, a rebuttal of that and in harmony with Hervey. In fact, the book has a letter that Witherspoon wrote to Hervey commending him for his work. But anyway, uh, Witherspoon's whole premise for writing the book was that sound doctrine rightly believed always produces holy living. And you've heard me say that time and time and time again. And Paul, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that. And the reason, like I said, he wrote his epistles, he always stressed doctrine first before he got to practical godliness. And he does so here. Most of the epistle has been taken up with answering the Judaizers and he continues to do so some in uh, this chapter as well. But we also need to remember that when Paul wrote this there were no chapter divisions. It was just a letter. And... When we write a letter to someone, we, don't, we normally don't uh, divide it up into a chapter, anything of that nature, but we do say why, <clears throat> why we're writing it and we'll have a paragraph to indicate that we're changing uh, a line of thinking and, and so on. <clears throat> but the original manuscripts were not written that way. And so, chapter six in reality is a continuation or continuation of chapter five. And so, in after delineating in chapter five the distinction of walking in the spirit with reference to walking in the flesh, we find that uh, we are exhorted at the beginning of this chapter, to be mindful not to be at odds with each other and to live in such a way that we not hinder each other's walk. In fact, the last verse of chapter 5, you can see how it flows into the subject matter of chapter 6, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another, And I want to continue on reading the first five verses uh, of chapter 6 because that's what we'll be looking at today. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. <clears throat> so, the chapter opens in a concrete way, or with concrete ways, as to how we are to help encourage fellow believers in their walk, especially when one is overtaken in a fault. I've broken the chapter down into kindly eight different sections. <clears throat> Like I said, we're looking at verses 1 through 5 today, which has to do with restoration and exhortation for a holy walk. Verses 6 through 8 will have to do with ministerial giving, 9 and 10, continuance in service. Paul gives his salutation in in verse 11. But then he shows the purpose of the Judaizers in 12 and 13. Paul's glory in 14 and 15. Then his blessing in verse 16. And his closing remarks in verses 17 and 18. But as we said, what we're looking at today is the restoration and exhortation for a holy walk. For holy walk. Now again. I want to emphasize what I have before. Notice how he starts this chapter. Brethren. And we. Went through all the places that he mentioned brethren. When we were studying the fifth chapter. And showing that when Paul said. In the second Chapter and called them O oh, Foolish Galatians, or actually it's in the third chapter, He was not belittling them, but He was admonishing them as a father would admonish his children. And so we need to keep that in mind. It was not a derisive address, but it was a loving address. But then he says, if any man be overtaken in a fault, the Greek scholar A.T. Robertson said of this phrase, overtaken in a fault, that it's a condition of third-class First aorist, passive, subjunctive, an old verb, which means to take beforehand, to surprise, or to detect. It has the idea of someone having a bone out of joint. It's not broken. It's just kindly out of joint. Falling aside, a slip. In other words, it's not someone who is walking in sin. It's not someone who is diving headlong into sin. In fact, uh, Another commentator said if a man be overtaken, that is caught in the very act before he expects or unexpectedly. We all know what it is sometimes to be going about our daily activities. And it just seems like out of nowhere comes a sinful thought that we wonder, where in the world did that come from? Well, this is the point of where a person has gotten himself into such a situation that a sin has captured him. Captured his being, as it were. I like the comments of A primitive Baptist minister that I met many, many, many years ago. I doubt that any of you have ever heard of him. He was Elder Cecil Sandiford. But he wrote uh, a commentary on the New Testament. I know, I don't think I don't remember whether he wrote on the whole Bible or not, but, but of this he said, and I thought it was good. The Apostle's instructions here seem to be reasonably clear. His first admonition is that if or when a person is overtaken, literally detected in a fault, or better reading might be when one is known to be in error, then let those who are walking in the Spirit turn the erring one back Unto the way of truth. And while the context of this whole epistle has to do with Judaizers. And it has to do with the idea of legalism. And if someone is caught up in that we need to restore them back as Paul did when he confronted Peter at Antioch. But it can also be applied when a brother is overtaken in any fault or any sin. I remind you again of, of the last verse in verse, uh, chapter 5, where he says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another, if a man's overtaken into fault, ye which are spiritual, that is, ye which are walking in the Spirit. The idea of someone being spiritual here is not some super Christian, it is applicable to every child of grace. Look at Romans chapter 15. Paul writes to these Roman Christians who were just typical, everyday Christians. And notice what he says of them. He's not not talking about preachers. He's not talking about deacons. He's not talking about some super-Christian he says, and I that's Romans fifteen fourteen, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Back in the seventies. Uh, there's a Presbyterian minister by the name of J. Adams that came out with a book called Competent to Counsel. I was introduced to it when I was teaching in a Christian school in Memphis at Spurgeon Academy and the principal gave that book to every one of the teachers and we were to read it and show that we were competent as Christians to... Educate children. But the premise of J. Adams was, and it was a good premise, and he came up with the idea of thetic counseling. And the neuthetic comes from this word admonish, which is netheo. I think I didn't take the time to look it up, but uh, but anyway, it meant, and Adams said that the problem with the Christian world is they've gone to Freudian, uh, Rogerian, uh, Skinnerism psychology instead of to the Scriptures. And that any child of grace that knows the Scriptures is able to give good counsel to any other Christian. And if an individual did not listen to the counsel of the Word of God, then that was indicative that individual was not even Christian. Because what is a Christian? He's a believer. And if it's a believer of God, he's going to believe God's Word. The problem with the New Thetic Counselors is they went beyond their original premise and set up their own counseling uh, seminars and trying to get people to go to them to learn how to counsel and this, that, and the other. But the point that I'm trying to make is this is the same thing that Paul is saying, Brethren, ye which are spiritual, that you who are Christians... If a brother's overtaken in a fault, restore him. Do what you can to bring him back. Notice here in Romans 15, look at the first verse for example. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Too often a person that's a strong Christian or at least thinks they're strong whether they are or not, they try to force the weaker to be what they are instead of trying to bear their burdens and to bring them along. By the way, this idea of a person overtaken in a fault Uh, Y'all have heard me mention from time to time an uh, uh, elder, Wiley Flanagan, who in in his uh, genteel way, when I first began preaching, showed me my ignorance and showed me how to study and the value of good books and how to recognize good books. But uh, I remember him talking about this verse in uh, Galatians chapter 1. And he gave an illustration of himself that when he was younger, sometimes he would play football. And when he was playing football, one time his knee got thrown out of joint. And he said, it really, really, really hurt to put it back in place. And as time went on, it was easier for the knee to get out of joint. But as time went on, it got to the point that he might be running down the field and his knee get out of joint and he'd fall down and he could just take his hand and push it back without any problem. That he gotten so used to it. Given the idea sometimes a man is overtaken in a fault. And if he's not restored, he kind of gets comfortable in it. And we have to be mindful of that. Notice what James says in his epistle along this line. In James chapter 5. James chapter 5, the last two verses, 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. And then in Jude... Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And as you know, we could supply many other passages of Scripture, but here gives you the idea that we are to try to restore a brother. Now if they don't listen to the Word, if they're not willing to hear what God has to say from His Word when you present it to them, then you need to walk away. You're casting pearls before swine. And after all, if this not what our Lord said in Matthew 18, that if uh, someone has uh, offended another, if somebody's offended you, you go to them and tell them their fault. And if they uh, repent, you've gained them. But if they haven't, then take one or two with you and talk to them. If they don't listen to you, then bring it before the congregation. If they don't listen to the congregation, let them be a heathen and a publican. In other words, if someone is not listening to the Word of God, you can't help them. I've had people to come to me with problems. And... I would outline from the Word of God what they ought to do. They don't do it. And I can't help them. I can pray for them. Kind of hard to pray for somebody when they <laughs> thumb their nose at you. But nevertheless, that's what we, we need to do that. But here, and notice... Paul is talking about brethren, brethren, ye which are spiritual. In other words, those who are walking in the Spirit. And you should remember from a couple of weeks ago when we talked about walking in the Spirit, What is it? It's simply someone who is living according to the Word of God, whether they feel like it or not. Whether they feel like it or not. I kind of got ahead of myself uh, talking about this dislocated limb. I want to read what John Gill said. He said, the allusion is to the setting of bones that are broken or out of joint, which is done with great care and tenderness. And beloved, sometimes it takes a lot of hard work to restore, brother. Too often we want to throw in the towel wash our hands of it. but it has to be done with great care and tenderness, without compromise. Both needs to be equally balanced and I do not know that I am capable of telling you, how to do that. And the reason is because each case is different. You may handle one situation one way and another situation in a different way. I remember several years ago a couple that were having problems living in a uh, state Quite distant from where I was living at the time, called me and wanted me to try to help them. And I saw that I was getting nowhere fast. And so I turned the tables and attacked the husband. And the wife. And it wasn't long till each one was coming to the defense of the other. And I could prove to them by that, that they weren't as estranged as much as they thought they were. That's the only time I've ever done that. (laughs) But sometimes, what I'm trying to say is, One situation you may handle one way and another situation another. And if God brings someone into your path that you need to labor with, you probably probably would have more insight on how to minister to that individual than I would. because you're involved in it and I'm not. And it's easy to stand off to the sideline and be a, a what, is, what they call an armchair quarterback when you don't know all the answers. Well, I need to get on so I'm going to read Gil. That was the first sentence. Done with great care and tenderness. Professors fall into sin are like broken and dislocated bones. They are out of their place and lose both their comfort and usefulness and are to be restored by greatly telling them of their faults and mildly reproving them for them and when sensible of them and troubled for them, by speaking comfortably to them and by bringing them again and resetting them in their former place in the congregation and restoring them to their former usefulness and good conduct and which is to be done. So this is the idea. If a brother is overtaken in a fault, and that fault... (coughs) Could be uh, anything. It could be anything. And we need to be specific in this. The fault is what? Sin. Sin. Somebody won't say, well, you know, it's just kind of a fault. It's a minor thing. No, it's sin. We need to keep that in mind. It's not if they like to wear a green dress and you don't like green, they haven't been overtaken in the fault. See, we need to know the difference. I saw some ladies with green on today, so they <laughs> directed my attention. But anyway, you see what we're talking about. It's a sin that we're to be concerned with. Not just some pet peeve. Because we all have to look over one another for good and be charitable one to the other all right which is to be done in the spirit of meekness you remember meekness was one of the graces of the fruit of the spirit that was mentioned in chapter 5 and verse 23 I like what Jameson Fox and Brown said about this. Meekness is that temper of spirit toward, towards God whereby we accept His dealings without disputing. I like that. We accept His dealings without disputing. Then towards men... Whereby we endeavor meekly, excuse me, we endear meekly their provocations and do not withdraw ourselves from the burdens which their sins impose upon us. What usually happens? Someone may be overtaken in a sin. And we just kindly withdraw ourselves from that individual and start talking to others who are more like minded than we are about how bad their sin is. Well, we haven't done what Scripture said, we haven't gone to the brother. We haven't tried to restore the brother. Instead, we've kind of washed our hands and talked about the brother. And let us be honest. We're too prone to do the latter. You know why? It's easier. It's easier. It takes hard work to try to restore someone When they're overtaken in something. And we need to be meek about it. You remember in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 it said that Moses was the meekest man of all the earth. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly. Y'all heard heard me speak of Elder Talley, Charles Talley. I don't think none of you ever knew him. But he gave a a definition of meekness that I thought was good uh, in one sense. It was while he was still uh, a Southern Baptist, he was pastoring in a congregation. I I think it was in Texas, I believe. And it might, well, I don't know, remember which town it was in. I remember one place, but they were putting in a new water system. And they had given one man the job of making sure that the water meters were not turned on until it was the proper time. And I don't remember all the details of, of of what that proper tide was. But the mayor of the town wanted his meter turned on. And he was going to force the man to turn his meter on because he was the mayor of the town. And this man slapped the lock on the meter and put and locked it and said. It's not going to be done until I'm given the permission to do so. And Brother Talley used that as an example of meekness not being weakness. It's knowing who the boss is and obeying at all costs. In other words, the mayor wasn't the boss over this man of, of whether to turn the meter on or not. I think it was the town council, <laughs> but anyway, whatever it was. That's what Moses was. He stood up for the Word of God. He stood up for the Word of God. And even when God was getting ready to destroy Israel and start over with Moses, what did Moses do? He went before the Lord and prayed for Israel. It's not easy to pray for your enemies. But that's what a Christian is. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now it's easy to pray for your enemies sometimes when you're wanting God to uh, wipe them out. You know I have the spirit of James and John. Lord we saw some uh, casting out devils in your name, and we wanted to forbid them. Oh no, it was. Well, they went to a town and they didn't want to receive them. And Peter and John, James and John wanted to send fire down out of heaven. The Lord said, "No, you have the spirit of Boanges. Have the spirit of meekness." The spirit of meekness. You remember our Lord instructed wives in First Peter chapter 5 to be adorned and have the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That's what we all as Christians should do is have that ornament being adorned with a meek In a quiet spirit. And what did God say about a meek and a quiet spirit? He said it was of great price in the sight of God. The meek and a quiet spirit is like a treasure chest full of all kinds of precious jewels and rubies and diamonds, and gold, and silver, and precious stones. Yes, it takes quite a bit. And the best to humble ourselves in the right way, and the best way to do that, is what he says in the next part of the verse. Considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I'll never do that. Well, you may have a, uh, an aversion to a particular sin and think you'll never do that, but I can assure you if God leaves you to yourself, you'll do anything. You may think me foolish, more than 50 years ago, uh, I was kindly in a difficult situation and kindly wanted the Lord to leave me alone. But I don't know whether the Lord sent it or my own uh, body stirred it up or what, but I saw enough in a dream one night that I said I'll never ask the Lord to leave me alone again. It let me see what I was capable of without God. and Beloved, I don't want to be without God. I don't want Him to leave me alone. We need to consider ourselves when we are trying to restore one, this word "consider" is in the Greek word scopio. and that may probably doesn't mean anything to you. But let me let me talk. Let me say the first part of it: "scope." What do you think of? Microscope, telescope. Our word scope comes from this Greek word, consider yourself. We need to consider just really who we are and what we are as we endeavor to try to recover one that is overtaken in a fault. Now again, I want to emphasize that is one that was overtaken. It's not one that jumped into it. Though it might, there may be occasions when one has jumped into it that's, this would apply. It's easy to be overtaken in something. An individual, well, let me, let me confess, <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't say that in, in a, I'll say it shamefully, but anyway, I confess, when, before the Lord converted me, I'd rather go to the racetrack on the Lord's Day, than go to the house of God. And after the Lord converted me, I still wanted to go to the racetrack many times. And when I'm talking about racetrack, I'm talking about drag, drag strip. That was kind of the passion of the group that I ran with in my teenage years. But I, it, would, it wouldn't take much for me to get on YouTube and start looking at some drag races. In fact, a few weeks ago, I stumbled across some and watched a few there for a while then I realized that I need to get out of this. I enjoyed it too much. I enjoyed seeing it, enjoyed uh, watching it, enjoyed the competition. What I'm saying is, it'd be easy to slip into that and say, well, I'm just going to look at it a little bit every day then the next thing you know, you're spending most of the day looking at it. We need to consider ourselves lest we be overtaken in a fault. I'm thankful for the electronic media. We're able to send our sermons out throughout the world. But the electronic media can be a danger. And it has to be used with care. And the, prob- the greatest problem with electronic media, with many church members and preachers, is pornography. You'd be surprised at preachers that get caught up in such ungodly sins. Sins. Overtaken in a fault. One sin leads to the other. But we need to consider ourselves and take heed to ourselves as we endeavor to try to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Well, I've got a lengthy quote I want to read by John Gill on this, but uh, we'll come back and start up there this afternoon. And if you notice, before we get to the end of these passages, every man has to bear his own burden too. We'll get to that. But we need to bear one another's burdens. Both are applicable And both are needful. Let us pray. Father, we recognize that we're sinners living in a sinful world. And it's easy to get caught up in various things. Some might even be really... Not even a sin in itself, maybe some hobby. Help us to not be overcome and help us to be able to strengthen a brother. That may be overtaken in a fault. To do so in such a way that. We do not compromise. Truth. And we do not aid. Using the grace of God. For lasciviousness. We confess our great ignorance in knowing sometimes just exactly what to do and how to do. But let us not use that as an excuse for not doing anything. And yet at the same time, give us enough gumption that we don't barge in like a bull in a china shop and do more harm than good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.